Well, good Sunday morning and welcome to Chapel Roswell. My name is Joe McKechnie and I'm blessed to be the lead pastor here. We are honored to have you in worship with us. In fact, you guys are really fighting against two big things this morning. Not only did you lose an hour of sleep and yet you're still here this morning, you woke up to a drizzly, nasty, wet day and you're still here this morning. So God bless you for doing that. And I pray that God really will bless you for doing that. And that all that we do not only blesses each and every one of us, but more importantly, honors God. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to open to Luke chapter 4. We're only going to do one verse this morning, okay? It's short and sweet. We're going to look at just one verse, but then we're going to break it down, and I pray that you can hear God's truth being proclaimed through his word. We're going to go Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and this leads into a great section in which Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, but we're just going to stop at the end of verse 1 this morning, okay? Luke 4, 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, that's important to know, returned from the Jordan. Okay, that's where he was baptized by John the Baptist. The scripture then says he was led by the Spirit. That's important to know, that clause there. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. The wilderness. When you think of the wilderness, what comes to mind? That's what we want to look at this morning. Will you, will you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power and the wisdom that comes from and comes through your word. May the Holy Spirit stir within us, allowing us to hear and to know and to live out what it is that you want to deposit into us this morning. May we allow your word to penetrate every crevice and corner of our hearts and our lives so that we may truly experience all that you have in store for us. We thank you for your calling and your claim upon each of us. Pray these things in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen. Well, you've heard the expression that fiction is stranger than truth, or truth is stranger than fiction. I guess I got it backwards, okay? Truth is stranger than fiction. Let me take you back to the year 1997. The movie Titanic became the most popular movie of all time. Since then, it slipped to number two. Another movie surpassed it. Anybody want to guess what that movie is? Avatar became the most popular movie, the most number one grossing movie of all time after Titanic did it. But, but I still want to go back to the Titanic because there's this major fascination with this infamous maritime disaster. There's an Australian-based company that plans to launch an exact replica of the Titanic. They call it literally the Titanic II. It'll be exactly like the original, only with modern safety and navigational equipment. They plan to set sail within the next year and a half or so. So you think of that movie back in 1997, almost everyone has seen it. There was a Broadway musical that followed, a traveling museum crisscrossed the country with a large and a wide array and variety of, of artifacts from that ill-fated ship. There was a traveling uh, place in different, not only a museum that traveled the country, but, but different exhibits and airports and things like that because everybody was talking about the Titanic. Countless books were, were offered to give the the details of the people who were on board that ill-fated ship. And there was a little-known book by an author named Morgan Robertson. Let me tell you a little bit about his novel. He simply named it or dubbed it Futility. That was the name of his novel, Futility. Now, I want to give you a little bit of information about his book, and I want you to tell me, do you think really he's that creative, or is he just kind of going after something that already happened? The book Futility is about the maiden voyage of the world's largest and most luxurious ocean liner, it was labeled as unsinkable, just like the real-life Titanic. The ship in the book Futility is named the Titan. The ship set sail from Southampton, England to New York City, just like the real-life Titanic. This 
fictitious titan, if you will. It strikes an iceberg in the frigid waters of the North Atlantic Ocean, and it sinks, just like the real-life Titanic. This fictitious titan sank on a cold April's night, but because it was inadequately stocked with lifeboats, it endured heavy casualties, just like the real-life Titanic. Both were, in a nautical sense, they were called triple-screw ships, they both could travel up to about 25 knots. Both could carry up to 3,000 people. In other words, the physical descriptions of the ships were even identical. What was author Morgan Robinson uh, simply hoping to take advantage of all the buzz that surrounded the real-life ship, maybe kind of propelling his book to greater sales? Was he playing on a real-life tragedy, or was he really being that creative? How, how many of you think that... that Eh, too eerie to be similar. He, he just kind of took the real life thing and changed it just a little bit. Anybody think that? Yeah, you got, okay. How many of you totally disagree with that and, and think that, no, something different is up? Okay, how many, okay, like four people raised their hands, okay? And we've got <laughs> 200 plus folks in here. So, so if you're awake, if you have a pulse, raise your hand, okay? Okay, we, we, a few of you are, are, are saved by that. Well, here's the deal. Okay, despite these eerie similarities, the book Futility was written in the year 1898, 14 years before the real-life Titanic ever set sail. Hmm, why do I share that story? Because very often we read something that we look at and say, wow, that, that could describe here and now. I want you to hold on to that for a few minutes. Several years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to Israel. It was uh, the trip of a lifetime. I would love, by the way, to, to lead another trip to Israel. If any of you ever would be interested in going, let me know, and we'll try to work that out, because it is just a great place to go and visit the Holy Land, to experience some of the things that you've read about and you've heard about. It, it really is a powerful thing. Israel is a, a small country, geographically speaking. It's about the size of Vermont. But the population is about 9 million people, and nowhere will you experience such a, a geographical transition as you would in Israel. You've got the, the beautiful, rolling, bucolic hills of the northern part of the nation, but then you span a, a couple hundred miles southwest, and you run smack dab into the desert, into the wilderness. It's barren, it's dry, it's remote, it's desolate, and even today, it's in many cases just like the Bible described. It hasn't really changed that much. So the scripture is telling us, after his baptism, Jesus went into the wilderness, into the desert, and he was led by whom? Remember? The Holy Spirit. In other words, he was led by God into this time in the wilderness. He would spend 40 days there, we are told, and while in this wilderness, he was bombarded with temptation, and yet he remained true to his heavenly Father. He didn't fall victim to that temptation. And so it's a powerful message about spiritual warfare. It's a powerful message about temptation. It's a powerful message about getting away from the hustle and bustle of life to be in the wilderness. And it's that wilderness that I want to focus on this morning that part of the passage to which I think we can relate. Where did this story take place? In the wilderness. Remember that story about the ship that seemed just like real life? Well, I think that's one of the things that God wants us to take from this passage this morning. God wants us to identify with our role maybe in the passage. I, I can't relate to being a savior. I can't relate to being perfect and resisting all temptation. 
but I can relate to being in a season of wilderness. Maybe some of you in some aspects of your life feel like maybe you're in the wilderness this morning. Is that wilderness, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, it really all depends. Jesus was led, we're told, into the wilderness by whom? By the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, there are a lot of examples of people being in the wilderness. The wilderness is often seen as a time of preparation, a time of intercession. It's a time of prayer. It's often, very often, a time of rest. And so after crossing, for example, the waters of the Red Sea, God led Moses and the Israelites into the wilderness. It was in that wilderness where Moses fasted for 40 days, we're told, and 40 nights prior to receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments, for example. After the profound experiences of the Passover and the miraculous bread from heaven, the wilderness is where the Israelites grumbled toward God. They, they wanted more food, and they wanted God to, to, to show them this, this mass landscape that he had in store for them. Instead of taking it day by day, they wanted everything unveiled and unpacked, and, and as a result, they, they fell into this idolatry. After the Israelites sinned, Moses went up to the mountain again. He fasted for 40 more days and 40 nights between God and his people as an intercessor, praying on their behalf. And so the wilderness is where we read about a lot of things taking place when we go through the scripture. It's in the wilderness where God's people, the Israelites, revealed or had revealed to them by God their true identity as his people. And I think that's why Jesus takes us into the wilderness for this story this morning. After all, the wilderness, if nothing else, is a place where we have to rely completely on God. Now, I would like to say that in all aspects of my life, I totally do that in all aspects, not just in a wilderness season. And I pray that each of us can say the same thing. But I, I, I truly believe that if you look through the scripture time and time again, especially in the Old Testament, you may have heard me say this before. There, there are two sins that, that come up more and more than anything else. Okay, you want to kind of really stay away from these. Number one is oppressing the poor and the marginalized. You, you don't want to do that. But also we read about the sin, the sin of self-reliance. That's what the Israelites found themselves falling into time and time again. The sin of self-reliance. Them doing it within their own strength instead of pressing in to God. And so it was in the wilderness that God does these amazing things in the passage of scripture that we're going to read this morning, or we've already read this morning, if you were to keep reading, you would see about the temptation that Jesus endured and how he fought that temptation. Now, we talk about the wilderness. There are often connotations that come up in our minds. For example, in the world wilderness, some people think, well, that has a really pretty connotation. It's a beautiful word. The wilderness is where we experience the beauty of nature and getting away from the distractions of our daily living. Wilderness is about slowing down and getting unplugged. I mean, what a gift is that? But on the other hand, some people view the wilderness as a, a bad place. It's a place that's unfamiliar. It's a place that isn't home. It's a place that seems kind of scary, and it's a bad thing. It represents being alone, being away from our home, for example, being in a place of vulnerability. And I want to offer you a couple of promises this morning, okay? I truly believe, truly believe, that God wants you to experience more joy and more peace and more hope than you ever could imagine. God wants to keep pouring that upon us, joy and peace and hope, more than we ever could have imagined. 
and I believe that God believe that God wants our relationships our marriages for example to be rock solid to be full of passion and to be full of love that God wants our lives to be filled with purpose that God wants to rid us of the despair or the hopelessness that maybe pops up from time to time in our lives and that's what we read about with the good news of the gospel that's what it looks like when we allow God to see his story intersecting with ours and very often that story takes us into a place of the wilderness. Jesus was led into the, the wilderness, like I said, by the Holy Spirit. So this was God doing something. God was going to, to, to lead Jesus into this wilderness. Who baptized Jesus? Well, it was John, also known as John the Baptist, because he baptized people. That makes sense. In Matthew 3.1 it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Again, we have a lot of people who talk about a, a wilderness experience. Maybe you've talked in your life about a mountaintop experience where, where it's just a natural high and things are going so incredibly well, this mountaintop experience. But, but most of the time our lives are, are lived in that area between the dark valleys of the wilderness and the mountaintop. A wilderness experience is often thought of as a, a tough time in which maybe a believer goes through trials or tribulations or discomfort. The pleasant things of life are unable to be enjoyed. Maybe they're absent altogether and we just feel a lack of encouragement or maybe we allow ourselves to be overcome with hopelessness or despair. This wilderness experience, though, is not necessarily a sign that we're ensnared in sin or that God isn't with us. To the contrary, it's a time in which we rely on God more than we can rely on ourselves. And it's in that wilderness where we experience that time of vulnerability, where we press into God because, dadgummit, we just don't have the strength to continue on our own. I don't have the strength to make it through a lot of these seasons of wilderness, but God does, and God promises to make a way. This past week, we commemorated Ash Wednesday. That kicks off a season that we refer to as Lent. Let me give you just a, a little background about that. Ash Wednesday, like I said, kicks off the season of Lent, which is a time of spiritual preparation and self-evaluation as we move through this season towards Easter. Because Lent has often been a time of fasting or of giving something up, the night before Ash Wednesday is known as what? Fat Tuesday. If you translate Fat Tuesday into French, what do you get? Mardi Gras. That's exactly right. So in French, no, true story, the word Mardi Gras literally means Fat Tuesday. And so the season of Lent is a period that leads us up to Easter Sunday. The word comes from uh, some, some Latin words which really mean to lengthen because now we're getting towards spring. The, the days are a little bit longer. We even experienced that last night as we kind of flipped our clocks ahead. And so Lent is a 40-day, not counting Sundays, a preparation for Easter during the time in which we're called to really examine our lives to see, are we truly giving God access to all that we have and all that we are and all that we hope to become? That's what the season of Lent is, and that's why we talk about the wilderness. And yet you see the, 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 the screenshot up there of the wilderness. It's colorful. It's a mosaic of, of, of bright colors coming out. It's not the dark barrenness that we often think of when we talk about the wilderness. The public, or the public ministry of Jesus started with his baptism, and then he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Friends, maybe... Some of you this morning feel like maybe you're wandering through a season of wilderness. It 
could be with a lot of different things, maybe with relationships or maybe in your vocation, maybe within the walls of your home, maybe even with some relationships. It feels unsettling and unsure. But it's in that wilderness and God says, I want you to totally lean on me, to trust in me, to press into me, and I, your heavenly father, will pull you through it. It's not about us, it's about God rescuing us. And that's the good news of the gospel. God's story intersecting with your story, with my story. It's in the depths of that wilderness that we're able to truly examine our lives in the lens of grace and mercy and love. It's in that silence of the wilderness that we can sense God's gentle peace and God's gentle presence. Who led Jesus into the wilderness? Was it Satan? No, it was the Holy Spirit. And the truth is the Holy Spirit is not going to call you into a place where God's presence is not already there, gracefully preparing for your arrival. God's not going to lead you to a place where God won't equip you to be there. Sometimes maybe we end up in the wilderness because we wander and we stray. That happened to the Israelites quite a bit, actually. But are we willing to press into God, to allow God to lead us and guide us, responding to the ways in which God is wooing us into a deeper walk with Christ? I want to show you a video in just a second. It's uh, about what it looks like when we really do kind of surrender to God's will. We, we talk about Easter as being the story of a loving Heavenly Father sending His one and only Son to pay the price for our sin. We, we started with this story about a book that looked just like the real-life Titanic, only to find out it was written a long time before the real-life Titanic. When we go through Scripture, we're hearing about the wilderness. It may, it may come across as, wow, that describes where I feel like I'm right now. But it came so far before, and we know that if God led people through the wilderness again, uh, through the wilderness before, God is going to lead people through the wilderness again. We know that God's going to do mighty things in us and with us and through us if we totally surrender to what it is that he wants to do in our lives. You and I may wander through seasons of the wilderness. Maybe at times it feels like we are stuck in that wilderness. Just as we'd see Jesus standing up to the enemy, God gives us the strength to do the same thing. I want you to check out this video. 78-year-old Tana Herndon of Bethany, Oklahoma, was vulnerable in every way. Her husband of 60 years had died just two weeks earlier. Her eyes so clouded with grief, she never saw it coming. You know, I really didn't know anything was going wrong until I was halfway in the car. An elderly woman visits her husband's grave only to be mugged. The mugger got away with her purse and $700, but not for long. Police caught him, and the news put his mugshot on TV. So first time you see that picture, do you recognize who that guy is? Yeah, in detail. You had no doubt? Yeah. That was your dad? 15-year-old Christian Lunsford says his parents divorced when he was two, and his dad has been mostly absent ever since. Last time he heard from him was a few weeks ago. His dad gave him $250 for a band trip Christian really wants to go on. But that's been the extent of his parenting recently. In fact, over the years, Christian says his dad has been in and out of jail more than half a dozen times. There's times like that you just feel really low, like, is that gonna be me? Am I gonna end up like that? This apple wants nothing to do with the tree, which is why. After Christian heard about his dad's latest crime, he reached out to the victim and asked to meet her in this church parking lot. 
you think, what's going on here? He says he just had to tell her. Sorry about what happened. It needed to be done. She needed an apology from somebody. If I didn't apologize, who would? I thought that was so, so precious. Any 15-year-old boy who has that much conscience is extraordinary. And Christian was just getting started. He gave me $250 for my band trip then, but I'm not sure if it was yours or who, however he got it, but I just, I'd feel bad if I wouldn't, didn't give it to you. Never mind that it wasn't his crime. He paid the debt. I accept this. I accepted the money back, and it was mine to do with what I wanted. Which brings us to the best part of this story. I want you to take your band trip. She gave it all back to him. Are you sure? For his band trip. It was a joy to do that. Thank you. In the end, no money changed hands in that church parking lot, but they each got something tremendously valuable from the other. I feel more like my life still has a purpose. You're not who your parents are. I mean, they, you need to, even if they do raise you, you can become whoever you want to be. No victims here. Steve Hartman on the road in Oklahoma City. So in the video, the son paid the father's debt. In the gospel, Jesus is paying your debt and my debt. That's why it's called the good news. Our debt has been paid and we have been set free. So friends, as we move through the season of Lent, moving closer to Easter, may we be so ever mindful of the ways in, God, the ways in which God is calling us to move through that season of the wilderness. Maybe it's a time of preparation. Maybe it's a time of prayer. Maybe it's a time of fasting. Maybe it's a time of simply laying out ourselves saying, okay, God, do with me what you want through me. And in our morning response today, we're going to do something a little bit different. If you have your cell phones with you, I'm going to invite you to take your cell phones out. Let's see, my wife's saying, please call me ASAP. Okay, I think we're okay. Um, no, take out your phone. Now, once you go to, to, uh, to the, the texting portion of your phone, and if you text... 313131, that's the number to whom you text, 313131, and type in wilderness. See what happens. You're going to have the opportunity now to, to download this graphic onto your phone or onto your device, and may this graphic be something that will be a constant and continual reminder to you of not only Easter, but more importantly of what Easter is about, the miraculous love that comes through and from Christ. May it be on your phone so that every time you look down, you'll be reminded of the scripture that we read this morning. You'll be reminded of the wilderness. Like I said, for some, the wilderness is a place that's scary or overwhelming. But you know what the scripture is saying? It doesn't have to be that way. It may just be a place with which we are unfamiliar. But we know that God will never lead us to a place where his grace and his peace and his presence are not already there preparing for our arrival. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways in which you are leading us and guiding us and wooing us into a deeper walk with you. May we be people who look for, who notice, and who appreciate all of the ways in which you are at work in our lives. 
Father, maybe for some of us it feels like we're deserted in this wilderness. It's a place with which we are unfamiliar, a place that can seem overwhelming. Calm us, dear Lord, and tend to us as we seek to be faithful followers of Christ. Chisel away at those areas of our, of our, of our lives that just aren't from you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your power and your peace, and we thank you for the gift of Jesus. It's in his name we pray.